0: Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. The Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Okay, good morning church. And... um As you know, I've been away for a few weeks and we are back, but we were, um, usually when we do get away, our tendency is to visit uh, churches when we're away, but um, seeing we still had the option of Zoom, we were joining in on Zoom each week, so um, that was a blessing as we continue to um, fellowship in that way with the assembly and enjoy the ministry of God's word is Psalm 51, so you can turn there. King David is undoubtedly an interesting character or uh, individual within the Bible because there's a bit of a paradox that surrounds his life because we know that the Bible says that God makes reference to David And he says that he is a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. Now they are pretty profound words to be speaking about a man, about an individual. And yet that is what is declared concerning King David. And so to have that testimony before the Lord, a man after my own heart. Yet when we examine David's life, we begin to see... That there is very serious sin that is manifesting in David's life. And it's not, you know, we can automatically think of, as we will in cover uh, in this text that's covered, that relates to his adultery with Bathsheba, and then ultimately as well in the death of Uriah, the Hittite, which he was held accountable for before the Lord. And so these are, we're talking about murder, this is serious sin. And there's other sins that are associated with David's life as well as you read the Scriptures. And, so, and yet you find these aspects associated with David and yet we find this statement and this testimony that's attributed to him. And you kind of think, how do we reconcile the two? And so there are aspects of David's life or heart uh, and uh, that we can identify that make reference to and we can under- begin to see why would God would make this statement about David himself. But nevertheless, David characterizes for us a man after God's own heart. And so it's interesting to capture various aspects that's associated with his life so that we can personally identify with these things. It was Colm last week who spoke on, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so there's something about uh, having a disposition of heart where you understand your spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord, that you are destitute, that you are unclean, that you are uh, a sinner before God. And so blessed are the poor in spirit. And so David understood this even in this particular psalm. We're not going to cover it, but later in his Psalm 51, he talks about um, uh, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. These, O God, you will not despise. And so it's not about our sacrifice and offering, but rather it's about our obedience, it's about our our brokenness, it's about our humility and repentance before the Lord that is being captured here in this particular psalm. And so David demonstrates various qualities of a humble heart, of a repentant heart, of a broken heart, on numerous occasions throughout his life. And obviously, Psalm fifty-one that we're going to consider is a prominent chapter of the Bible, and it contains specifically David's prayer. And the context we know is when Nathan the prophet has confronted him; he's been confronted and he's been exposed for his sin in light of God. Uh, uh, and so we understand this in Samuel, where uh, Nathan comes before him in the book of Samuel there and uh, and brings these things out to his attention. And we saw his self-righteousness there for a moment, but as his sin is exposed, he becomes a broken, repentant man before the Lord. And so this psalm that he writes in Psalm 51 is really a prayer of a broken man. A man the prayer of a broken individual before God with the, bearing the weight and burden of their sin. Before the Lord. And then, uh, as uh, as it's weighing so heavily upon him, he expresses himself and writes this particular psalm. And uh, and in it, it contains one of some of the most well known words that we will have sung as Christians. Who can tell me what it is? (laughs) That's it. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And we've, seen that we've sung that song, all of us, multiple times. Create in me a clean heart. Because so often, not just for the sinner but the saint, the need is present, ever present, for the cleansing blood, in this instance of Christ, that we would be cleansed from our sin. That we, Because we all fall short, we all fail, we sin against God. And in doing so, we are in constant need of cleansing. And so, we, the, the prayer that so often is made from us is like David himself. And so, when we sing it, we relate to it create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And so, these are words that resonate with all of us in various ways, according to our own lives and circumstances. Because the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Bible tells us when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he said, woe is me. David, I mean, um, Job, uh, as uh, Colm pointed out last week, uh, he said, um, what was his exact words? Um, He abhors himself. And then you have uh, um, uh, Paul in his epistles in Romans uh, 7, where he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Because that's the state of the human heart, bound in sin. That's its condition. So we understand that aspect. But like David, amen, we cry out these words, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And so we want to look at these particular words found in verse 10, 11, uh, 12, and 13 as we come before the Lord this morning. So let's read from verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Amen. Lord bless this word this morning, quicken it God to each of us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, just to reiterate the context, this is a prayer of repentance from David. And David is begging for the mercy of God. In verse 1 he says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, he is, uh, he is coming before the Lord. He is entreating God. He's saying, God, I need your mercy. I'm in desperate, desperate need of your grace. And so he's begging for the grace of God. He is begging for the love of God. According to your loving kindness and your kindness and who you are and everything that characterizes you, uh, I'm asking, have mercy upon me. And so this is the context. In verse 3, he speaks and he touches um, about, he says, For I have acknowledged my transgressions. You see, note here, I think it's important to note that David is making reference to specific sin in his life. He says, I acknowledged my transgression. He's being specific in his confession of what the sin is in his life. Because it's very easy to be general. Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. (laughs) But it's got to be a bit more than that, amen? It has to be confession. Is You know, confession is agreeing with God. And so in agreeing with God, we've got to be specific in what that sin is. And so confession is always specific, what it is that needs to be identified and what it it needs to be repented of and what needs to be cleansed from. And he says, my sin was always before me, and against you and you only have I sinned. And so he's specific, and so this is important for us to understand. And then we find, as he moves through this particular psalm, which we're only skimming through here, but nevertheless, he says in verse 5, he speaks about the generality of sin, when he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. So he's acknowledging, before he's he's acknowledging his specific transgressions, here he's acknowledging that he is born in original sin. That he has in, in him a sinful nature, a bent in his nature that always causes him to miss the mark. And so this is the general aspect, that we are sinners before a holy God. And so all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This bend, bend is, is Adamic. It's what we call our Adamic nature, born, being born into Adam, original sin. And we are all born with it. We not, we're not all born as transgressors. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't say to a, a one-year-old uh, or a six-month-year-old baby you know, that they're transgressing the law. They're just, But they're, they're, as they grow into those, uh, they say, those terrible twos, uh, oh, there's that nature <laughs> right there. It's called the sinful nature. And so <clears throat> it is inherent in our, in our nature. And so David is acknowledging that aspect as well. And in light of this, he's asking God, as he makes confession, he's asking God for atonement. He's saying, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need to be cleansed in verse uh, he's asking God uh, to blot out his transgression God remove this this transgression from me he says wash me and cleanse me from all of my sin in verse 1 and verse uh, uh, 2 and so this is what he needs. He just doesn't, not just the forgiveness of God, but he needs to be cleansed. He needs to, in verse 7, he says, purge me. This is all reference to atonement and the cleansing from sin. Not just to be forgiven, but to be washed and cleansed before the Lord. He says in verse 7, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And isn't that what it's all about? And Isaiah, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Because that's what God does, amen, because of his act of forgiveness and grace in our lives. He can take the stain of sin and he can purge us, he cleanses us, he forgives us, and he can make us whiter than snow. And really that is what the gospel is all about. And so David He's acknowledging these things. He's, uh, he's saying, Lord, I need you to purge me. I need you to blot this sin out. I need you to cleanse me from it because it's a stain on my life. And then, after touching upon these particular aspects, he comes to verse 10, which is the, our focus this morning. And he cries out and he says, Oh God, he says, Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Now, just capture that for a moment. This is not some clinical uh, uh, words that are being spoken. These are, these are, this is a cry from the depths of his heart. He has come to a point in his prayer and in his repentance before the Lord where he's acknowledged his sin and he's, he's calling upon God. And then in, in, in the depth of his uh, anguish of heart, in the brokenness of his heart, he cries out and says, Oh God, create in me a clean heart, oh Oh God. The depths of this word, the anguish that is in his heart at this point of time when he makes these expressions. We can just sing it and be and think it's intellectual, but no, this is, this is filled with a depth of emotive and emotion before the Lord and a burden and anguish of heart. These words are not fleeting, they are deeply personal. And what do they teach us? What do they reveal to us this morning? Create. In me a clean heart. You see, that word create is comes from the the Hebrew word where God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And so again, we're talking when he says, create in me a clean heart, he's asking God to do a miracle to create in him. And so it's an act of creation as such. It, 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 it actually captures the idea of causing something to exist that did not before. His heart is stained by his sin and now he's asking God to cleanse him, create in me a clean heart. And that is the, uh, the nature of what we're dealing with and what God is involved in as he deals with human beings and the human heart. See, the reality is, is that the human heart can only be changed by a divine act, a divine agency, by the power of God himself. We can't can't do it. We're not in a self-help program. We're not out to better ourselves. We, We can't do that. We need a creative miracle. And isn't that what salvation is all about? See, Jesus said, you must be born again. And so again, you must be born from above. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You can't improve the flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so again, we're dealing with the new birth. We're talking about God putting his new spirit within us. His Holy Spirit is infused into our being. Hallelujah. That's a creative act on the behalf of God. We are, as the Bible says, we're not born of the flesh nor the will of men, but of God. And so, um, isn't it interesting that even Israel in in light of their rebellion and disobedience over the years before the lord the prophet ezekiel tells us that the time will come and it says in ezekiel 36 verse 26 he says i will put a new spirit i will give you a new heart and i will put a new spirit within you see this is a, god's going to create something and it's going to be a divine act on his behalf and he's going to change and here he's speaking about national israel Uh, on the day in which they will call upon the name of the Lord. Can a nation be born? Absolutely, amen, by the power of God. See, we're talking about this create in me. And so this need of this creative power of God, the supernatural power of God, is so evident, manifest in our own lives. We need this at work, and it is at work in us. Thank God for that. But you can see how... Uh, we, we're talking now in the context there of salvation. But remember, when dealing with David and his prayer, we're dealing with now the issue of not the sinner coming to Christ in salvation, but we are dealing with the, uh, the, the saint who has sinned before the Lord in their relationship and in their walk with God and is in need of cleansing. Because that's the truth, amen? We, all, we, need, we must be cleansed regularly, true? And so we're dealing not with salvation here, not with justification before the Lord, but with sanctification. And this is what David is praying about when he's talking about purge me, cleanse me, wash me. How do we know that that's the context? Because listen, verse 10, uh, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me are his next words. And again, when we look at the Hebrew here, when we begin to study, we begin to realise and identify what David's making reference to because this word, (coughs) is renew, literally means to repair, to rebuild. And so this is what David's requesting of God, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, renew, repair, rebuild. Because uh, what we identify here is the need to be renewed. Because the Bible tells us that we must be renewed by the renewing of our mind. But also sin, whether it's in salvation, prior to salvation, or as a Christian, sin always destroys. Sin always tarnishes, always breaks down. It has a, a profound effect upon the human soul and so the heart becomes infected, it becomes broken, it becomes destitute before the Lord and so there must be created in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. In other words, re, re, repair and renew my heart. He says, uh, renew a right spirit within me. And that word, in some translations it says, or in mine it says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. A right spirit, this truly means. And so that word in the Hebrew means to erect, to stand. So in a right spirit. And you know how that happens to the Christian? Because we are declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. God is the one that uh, causes us to have right standing. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. Amen. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to again come to that place of righteousness. And that is the the progressive aspect in 1 John. See, only God can renew and make a right spirit within us. We can't achieve that. We can repent. We can confess as we must, it's part, but only God can create. You see, sin condemns. Sin brings guilt, it brings shame. And how can one? That's why in Psalm 130, verse A, this first section of it, Psalm 130, part A, it says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who can stand? Who can stand? No one. But you see, when God creates a, and renews a steadfast spirit, a right spirit, because he brings about restoration and he, he causes us to stand. Amen. Because we know that the Lord does not mark iniquity. Hallelujah. He forgives. And this is what David is, uh, is drawing upon. God blotted out. God forgive me. God cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart. See, God is the one that causes us to stand. That's why Paul would write all that he does in the book of Romans. And then he comes and he says in Romans 8 verse 1, he says, Now, there is now no condemnation. This is just after he's declared the fact that he's a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm under the condemnation of sin. But who will deliver me from this body, bondage and this body of sin? And he says, I thank God. Now, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, that's how we can stand, because of everything the Lord has done and what the Lord does do in our lives. So, we have this aspect that God causes us to stand. He renews a right spirit within me. To the sinner, he's declared righteous. To the saint, he's cleansed from unrighteousness. And this is imperative, this is important, because none of us can live the Christian life without this, can we? We have to come into constant cleansing. That's just the nature of it. You see, verse 11, David knows how serious sin is. His sin before the Lord. And when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, he then moves to verse 11 because he knows if God doesn't do that if God doesn't accomplish this in his heart then he understands the consequences he understands and there were already other consequences for his sin but he and now in his own relationship to the Lord he realizes that if God doesn't create then he's in trouble and he says in verse 11 do not cast me away from your presence do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And that is his prayer as he comes before the Lord. And he's, uh, uh, he's, he's saying, God, don't cast me away. Because he understands that sin can't be in the presence of holy God. And he understands that the effect of sin will, uh, uh, in, in, again, in various aspects. But we know for the sinner uh, who dies in their sin, the Bible says that they will be cast into the lake of fire, cast away from the presence of the Lord. That's hell. Cast away for eternity. But you see, even for the Christian this morning, when there's sin, an unconfessed, an unrepentant sin in our lives, mark it down, it will affect our relationship with God. It does. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says uh, these words, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. And so prior to that, it lists various sins. It's not exhaustive, but it's just making note of various sins. And because because sin in our lives grieves the Holy Spirit. And so then, how can we walk and live in the newness and fullness of the Spirit of God? How can we walk in the Spirit and bear fruit in the Spirit if there is this sin in our heart? And in our lives, that's not dealt with. Then that's why the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God because when we grieve, there's a withdrawal of the Spirit of God. You won't sense his peace. You won't sense his presence. You won't sense his comfort. You forfeit these things until these things are dealt with. That's what David said. My sin was always before me. And so how many of us are not living and walking in the Spirit this morning. Paul the Apostle, we're talking about this aspect of cast me, do not cast me away from your presence, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Paul the Apostle, in his letter to the Corinthians, he made reference to the fact that um, uh, as a preacher and as a minister of the gospel he, he must live a life that is of a, of a high standard and holy before the Lord. but. He says in chapter 9, verse 27, He say, well, in the King, in New King James, he says it in these words. He says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself, I myself should become disqualified. And again, that word disqualified in the Greek means to be a castaway, that I should be a castaway. And it carries the idea of being unapproved before the Lord. Because if we if, there, if we are not walking right, how can we please the Lord? If there is unconfessed and unrepentant sin in our lives, how can we uh, uh, be, be pleasing to the Lord? It is it, it 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 causes us to be separated. Separated. We don't have this a sense of God's grace and peace in our heart. And so Paul says, uh, I I should not become disqualified. That's why he will also write to the 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, verse 5, and he will say, test yourselves whether you're in the faith. Unless Jesus Christ is in you, uh, or else you'll be disqualified. And so the question is, is, uh, do we have the Spirit of God in us? Because there are professing Christians, and I've seen it over the years, who claim to have the Spirit of God. But unless you have the Spirit of Christ, you are not his. And so these are things for us to consider. So David goes on into verse 12. And he says, these words, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David is praying for restoration here. He's he's praying for reconciliation in terms of his sin before God, being dealt with. But now he's praying praying for restoration. And what is it that he wants restored? Listen to his words. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, again, let us focus on these words for a moment, because what does sin steal from us? Our joy. Sin takes away your joy as a believer, and you become burdened and weighed down by sin, guilt, shame, and all the other things that can rest in the human heart. And so our joy is stolen, our joy is lost. And this is important because uh, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, as we were told. And uh, we understand that joy is so critical to the Christian life. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances all being okay and working, working themselves out. Joy is not dependent upon outward circumstances. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something that comes as a result of walking and living in the Spirit and, and knowing God. And so we have a joy of the Spirit that manifests in our heart. But when sin is present, this is, this is all quenched. And so sin will steal. Sin will destroy. And joy is something that is, uh, is so healthy. Uh, so I think it's in uh, Proverbs. Um, a broken heart dries the bones, but a merry spirit, cheer, uh, cheerful spirit. What is it? As yes, good as medicine. Yes, but that's, that's the truth. And so God's joy. And so, but listen for a moment, because... We find in Romans chapter 14, verse 17 for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so you can't have the joy unless there's the right, renew a right spirit within me, righteousness, and the peace of God in our hearts. Because if you don't have peace, how can you have joy? but when you have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is not some humid manufactured entertainment. This is not something we conjure up with some lights flashing and, you know, making us all feel good. That's all external. We can have nothing and we have joy because it exuberates out of our inner being. We don't need facilities uh, to be, have joy in the Lord. To make us feel better, we have the Spirit of God. And so joy in the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. In, with, he says, sorry, we read again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit so critical. So if we are not in right relationship, if we have grieved the Holy Spirit of God in our relationship to the Lord, then we will feel the effects of that. And it's not until we come back to the cross, not until we are broken and make confession and repent before the Lord that these things are God creates a new heart, a clean heart. He renews a right spirit. And he restores the joy of his salvation. Praise the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what the the revelation of Scripture is to Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. They were weeping in the the book of Nehemiah because of their sin. And they were broken and they were wailing and and crying out to God. And Nehemiah says, no, now is the time to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so his joy becomes my joy. That's why Jesus will say in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my joy, may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And so David he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Now can I just note here, I used to sing, and I hear people say it, but I... The Lord showed me but, and over the years. But I say, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Ever heard that? It's a subtle thing, isn't it? And, you know, I can understand not being too harsh here. But really, it's not my, it's thy. It's to restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, because it's not my salvation; it is His salvation. And when He gives me His salvation, and He saves me, cleanses me, purges me, He plots out my sin and fills me with His Spirit. Amen. What have I done? I've, it's His salvation. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation, and when I have Thy, I will have my. Amen. Because his joy becomes my joy. His salvation becomes my salvation. And I I receive of that. And I am partaker of that. Oh, God is good. We rejoice in his provision, his blood, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And in verse 12, and uphold me. By your generous spirit. David prays, uphold me by your generous spirit. Our God is a good God. Amen. Every good gift comes from God. He bestows so much upon uh, the Bible says the evil, but also unto his children. We have become recipients of his generosity. And that word generous means free, voluntary. And isn't that how it is, grace? Isn't exactly what that is, grace? His mercy? We don't deserve nothing of it. It is purely free and voluntary from God's part because of who he is. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, who's perfect, give good things or give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God, it's good. He's generous. And David knows that generosity of God. So he's calling upon it. He's entreating God for his generosity because he knows that God's good. He knows that he's wicked. He's evil. And that's what we need. We need to have faith in who God is. We need to trust what God has revealed about himself. And that's how uh, we, we, we uh, lay hold of the promises of God and so forth. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. You see, grace is free for us, but it cost God to extend it to us because he didn't spare his own son. Christ on the cross is what purchased it all. But it says, Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How generous is God this morning? Who shall separate us from the love of God? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. You see, God is the one that makes us stand. He is the one. It is his salvation and we enter in and we stand on the grounds of Christ, amen? We stand on the grounds of of, of his promises and his righteousness, nothing of ourselves. And so David says, uphold me by your generous spirit, uphold me. That's That's how we are upheld as Christians. As children of God, we are upheld by the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. That word upheld means to prop, to bear up, to establish. And you see, it is God who upholds us, amen. so, I mean, if if God left us to ourselves, we would all just be total, I don't know, basket cases. (laughs) Sometimes we are. But you see, God, amen, he is generous and he causes us to stand. He upholds us by his spirit, amen? And God is the one that makes us stand. He is the one that enables us to um, uh, be declared righteous. He is the one that has uh, um, done all of these things. He upholds us and so therefore we can lean upon the Lord, amen? You know, that's why when the enemy comes and wants to bring guilt, condemnation, You know what? We can't erase the memory of sin. And maybe sometimes we have to live out various consequences. But can I say to you this morning, when God forgives, he forgives. When he blots out your iniquity, he blots out your iniquity. And so therefore, you can stand. Why? Not on yourself, but because of what God has done, because of his blood, his grace, his forgiveness. And so you can lean upon the Lord. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. You can bet everything amen. You can stand on the word of God. And when the enemy comes in and when the enemy wants to bring condemnation, when the enemy wants to remind you, you know what? You can stand in having done all on that evil day to stand. You stand in the power of his might the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. That's his spiritual warfare we're talking about. But you see, God is the one that upholds us. And we lean upon him. God gives us generously his grace, mercy, forgiveness. Where would we be without him this morning? You see, David's sin, as you know, uh, David's sin had given leverage to the enemy. And we find in the book of Samuel, um, uh, the prophet says to him that um, his sin has brought reproach upon God's name, uh, that the enemies of God are are blaspheming as a result of his actions. And he understood just how bad, you know, like it wasn't, that's what sin does, affects so much, doesn't it? And he, and so he realises that he, here he was as a, as a testimony to God and yet his own life is absolutely a disaster. And he says, uh, and so he, he, uh, there's an, uh, an acknowledgement of the, Um, the reproach that has been brought about by his actions, that he has, God even says, you've caused your enemies to blaspheme my name as a result of your actions. Now that's heavy. But you see, the one thing that God did in his grace and mercy, he said to David, I have put your sin away. I put it away. See, God would tell her, I put your sin away. The enemy wants to remind you, bring it always back up. Just, and the enemy just wants to say, look, 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 this. And just and you live in that bondage. And you must understand, God says, I have put it away. You've made confession. You have repented. You've got it right before me. You were cleansed. Your sin is blotted out. And you must stand on that, regardless of what's going on around you. And I think to some degree, we've all tainted the testimony of God in some way in the course of our Christian journey, by our own actions. But you see, God with God there is forgiveness. In Psalm 130, verse 3, I read this before, but only read the first half of it. It says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord who could stand? No one. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And so this is the reality of what we're dealing with. And one of the things that we learn as Christians is that nothing lasts, nothing lasts except the grace of God by which we stand in Christ Jesus. And yeah, I've seen it all. I've known it personally. I know my own life, my own heart. I've seen it in others. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall because if it's not for the grace of God none of us could sit here this morning and stand and before God in this manner but because of his salvation hallelujah now as david makes this prayer in verse 13 and he knows the reproach that he has brought upon the unsaved. But listen to what he says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Because he's saying, God, in light of everything you, you are, every, in light of everything that you have done and have done for me, he says, I am indebted to you. And he says that I will teach transgressors, those that are in living in sin, those that have broken your law, those that are in rebellion and disobedience to you. I will teach sinners or transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you because uh, that's why Paul the Apostle says uh, he is the least of all to be called an apostle. In light of everything that he had done, and his sin and how he persecuted the church of God, how he had people killed in the name of God. And he says, grace was first given to me as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, um, as a type of a first fruit to demonstrate that in me, the grace of God would be extended to me and then it can be extended to anyone at all. And David says, so therefore, when we, our testimony is, you know what, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. But God saved me. He forgave me. He cleansed me. This is why the world doesn't get it and they can't understand it. But you see, we testify of it because we don't talk of ourselves. We understand who we are. And for the most part, the world does too. (laughs) Anyone that knows you or knows of your testimony or past, they go, who do you think you are now? No, it's all God. And so we now testify of God's salvation. We testify of God's grace. We testify of his goodness, of his mercy. And I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you because I'm going to give glory to you because of who you are. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's nothing good in me. And that's the gospel that we preach. And David's life and testimony, give proof, proof to the goodness of God as to our own lives. We can read this psalm and we can read David's experience and we can relate to it in our own way, undoubtedly. And as I conclude this morning, I just want to conclude with one last thought about the fact that then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. And in First Corinthians, actually I'll read it, in First Corinthians Chapter 1. Paul writes and he says in verse 29, he says that no flesh should glory in, your, in his presence. None. Verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Not in anything of ourselves. It's the opposite. None of us. We all deserve the judgment of God. We all deserve to go to hell. But let him who glories, glory in the Lord. We will testify to sinners it's not who we are, it's who God is. And we testify of his nature, his grace, and of the gospel of Christ in order that they would be converted and that their sins may be blotted out. Because that's the gospel we preach. Isn't God good this morning? He's such a good God. I thank God. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Maybe your heart needs cleansing this morning. Then let us be, come before the Lord. Let us be specific. Come and make confession. Repent. And be, and be washed and cleansed. And like David, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. Maybe I could have the musicians come. Actually, before we close off, Pastor Werner, could you come? And Jessica, let's sing that song, "Created in Me, Clean Heart, as we just meditate upon what we've heard this morning. I'll just pray as they come. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the grace of God, for the goodness of God, for all that you are and have revealed to us, Lord God, the salvation, your salvation that we have become partakers of, oh God. You have cleansed us. You've washed us. But not only in salvation, even, Lord, in the, in the journey of our, our walk with you. So often we've failed. So often we've sinned against you, Lord. And yet if we, if, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, oh, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Thank you, Lord, for, for your provision, for your goodness and grace. And as we sing this song, Lord, minister. To your people in Jesus' name. Create in me a cleave.